Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory and we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. We're going to talk about those uh, things that uh, that are a little bit uncomfortable for the world today. And uh, one of the things that I want to talk about first is emotions. What What is this thing that we call emotions? And uh, how does that work? Uh, what, uh, you know... So I, I went and I looked up a lot of stuff about emotions and, and the way in which they define the word and uh, how that is looked at. I mean, like, if if you were asked to define the word emotions right now, what what do you think the definition of emotions would be? Feelings? Is, is that what emotions are? What kind of uh, feelings fall into is all feelings part of your emotions or is your mental process a part of your emotions what exactly is this thing that we call emotions well just a basic definition if you looked it up is emotion is a natural instinctive state of mind deriving from one's circumstances mood or relationships with others so it's a state of mind. Emotions is a state of mind. It's a mental process. Is everything that you experience the result of your mental processes? Well, this is where the controversy starts to expand out. And whether you're talking about psychology or philosophy, what what is emotions? Uh, and some emotions, they refer to it as a state of feelings that result in physical and psychological changes that influence our behavior. Well, the fact is, there's a lot of chemical processes that don't really necessarily go on through the mind. I mean, you can have, uh, you know, pain doesn't originate in the mind. It may travel through the mind, but it doesn't originate there. You know, if somebody smashes their thumb, uh, that is that pain entering into the mind is going to cause all kinds of things but it's traveling through the body before it enters into the mind i mean the body reacts to the pain immediately on its own so uh, and it will produce a state of emotion <laughs> if you if you go back to the source of the word emotion uh, you know from out of the english actually it comes originally from a french word which actually means to excite. So something that excites was considered emotion. And that that French word, of course, came from a Latin word before. And that actually came from two words, is out of movement, or out of move. Um, it's the word out and move. Something caused you to move. And so it isn't necessarily a mental process only. There can be physical processes the the pain will cause adrenaline to be secreted that will affect your mental process even without your mental processes taking over it's just automatic it's it's a physical reaction and it's putting uh, chemicals into your brain hormones uh, adrenaline and those 
immediately will alter what we would call your emotion, your movement. Your psychological movement, your state of mind will change because of a physical activity. There are natural chemical processes in the body. The, the desire to reproduce is, is, creates a hormonal deluge in the body that causes a person's mind to go to certain things. You know, men think about women. Women think about men because of those hormones that are secreted because of a natural process to reproduce. That is in all living creatures. All living creatures want to reproduce to continue their species. All living creatures will eventually reach to a point where they die. And before they do, they try to reproduce themselves. And this this uh, secretion of hormones is a physical reality, even without emotions. And so they, what goes first? Is it the emotion, the passion of of the opposite sex being drawn towards each other for that process, that natural process of reproduction? Is that producing an emotion, or is that the result of a, an emotion, or is it a combination of both, one feeding the other? That, you know, that you you get a feeling that comes from a chemical desire to reproduce and it draws you to the woman and the woman's presence draws you to a feeling which draws you to more of the emotional response which draws you to action which draws more emotional response so that it becomes a part of a process. So the emotion itself is not the process. But it can be stimulating the process at the same time the process is stimulating it. And that's really what it comes down to. And this is part of the confusion. Uh, because actually if you, if you study, you know, I thought I'd look up and find a scientific definition, uh, whether it be some sort of consensus on what emotion is. And they actually state there is no scientific consensus on the definition of emotion. There's quite a few different views and theories and perceptions of what this emotion is. A minister of the gospel, am I going to say, what about spiritual effects upon emotion? Is there a spiritual design to the universe? Of course, I believe there is. And is there two spiritual designs floating about? One from the Creator and one from those who rebel against the Creator and do something contrary to the Creator, the evil. And that has a pattern and God has a pattern and those two patterns are going to produce a different set of emotions or take emotions in a different direction. So if you have any emotional problems, what part of that is chemical? What part of that is uh, spiritual? What part of it is mental? The fact is, is all of the above are having some sort of influence upon your emotions and therefore upon your actions, what you do. Emotions are a part of why you do what you do. Emotions is part of bravery. Emotions are a part of cowardness, coward, uh, being a coward. Uh, emotions are a part of... Uh, Promiscuity. Emotions are a part of uh, 
you know, remaining pure. Uh, when you get drunk, uh, emotions led you to get drunk. Uh, many of your habits, people say, well, I do that to help me cope with stress. Well, stress is, part of that is, uh, most of what stress is, is emotion. It's your reaction to conditions. Mentally, emotionally, uh, and then when they, you know, how do you de- separate emotionally from mentally? Physically, how do you separate emotion from physically? They're a part of each other. They're part of a whole process. But which part may determine the outcome? And what part of spiritual awareness, spiritual connection, is affecting this whole emotional state of mind that we're experiencing? That is kind of uh, the uh, $64 million question. Uh, emotion in everyday speech is any relatively brief conscious experience characterized uh, intense mental activity or uh, a high degree of, you know, involving a high degree of pleasure or displeasure in something. That's that's a view of emotion. Again, that's not entirely because it it separates it into a conscious experience. That emotions are a conscious experience that are characterized with this intense mental activity uh, and high degree of pleasure or displeasure. But it isn't necessarily a conscious experience. A great deal of emotions is subconscious it's not it's not coming from the consciousness i give you an example phobias people are afraid of certain things and they have no idea why they're afraid of those things they're conscious of the fear but they're not conscious of what is causing the fear so what when did the emotion come about uh, the the emotion of fear come about did it come about from a conscious experience or was it simply experienced? And then uh, people who are asleep, people who are in coma, they manifest evidence of emotions. Yet, they they are not even supposedly conscious of what's going on. So how much, you know, how many times have somebody felt, I don't know, I just feel angry. I don't know, I just feel sad. Yes, the emotion that is in the conscious mind, but what is causing the emotion, which is as much a part of the emotion as the emotion itself, is not necessarily from a conscious experience or something that you are conscious of. It may manifest itself. And that's another thing. Uh, people talk about uh, these... Uh, Emotions, uh, like somebody, somebody who's very, uh, you knew people who were from Sicily or from Cuba were very uh, dramatic. You know, when they were upset, you knew they were upset. They were uh, uh, very animated individuals. But uh, there are other people who are far more reserved. And they may be upset, but you can't hardly even tell. You know, it's the difference between the extrovert 
expression of himself and the introverted person's expression of himself. Which one has more intense emotion? Well, you don't necessarily know because of the way in which the emotion manifests itself. The introverted person still has maybe the same intensity of emotion, but the habit of their being is keeping the external expression of that emotion suppressed. You know, uh, to some, emotion is this uh, state of feelings that results in physical and and, uh, psychological changes that influence their behavior. Now, that that's one of those definitions, because like I said, the uh, scientific community doesn't have a single definition. But they, they talk about this influence of our behavior as a result of an arousal of the nervous system. And we talked about, you know, uh, the natural uh, desire to sexually reproduce is an arousal of the nervous system. But also... Fight or flight is arousal of the nervous system, which is causing hormones to secrete and, and uh, body functions to you know, prepare to run or to fight and uh, secreting all kinds of adrenaline to make that reality uh, come to be. And that's part of the emotions is feeding that system. But the person who is extroverted, you're going to know that they look like they're about ready to fight. But another person who's more introverted, you may not get as many signals. But the body is still doing the same things, preparing in the same way. The person who sits and thinks about things that people have done to them, bad things that people have done to them uh, or doing to them, uh, but they're an introverted person. So you don't see the expression. But they internalize it. So that's going within them. How many times uh, do people have traumatic experiences? Maybe they were abused as a child. Uh, maybe uh, the life itself, you know, maybe they had relatives who died, parents who died, uh, brothers and sisters who died or were terribly sick or or were injured. And this caused trauma because the people around you are part of your security as you're growing up. And when you see them devastated or destroyed or made ill and die, this has an effect on your whole world. And it has an effect on you. Now, if you're an extroverted person, you may do a lot of crying. If you're an introverted person, you do internal crying. But the trauma is still there. You know, the people talk about letting it out. Most of the time when people let out what's bothering them, they let it out in a way that it it starts bothering other people. They let it out in an abusive way. I mean, how many people who were molested as a child end up having the same feelings to molest others as they grow up? I mean, it is common that you, you find these people who have uh, these... Uh, uh, addictions to abuse, abusing other people, when you actually go back in their history, you find out they were abused as a child. And it created a cycle of abuse that they kept returning to time and time again. So, uh, what's that? Is that part of the emotions? Is that part of the subconscious uh, stimulation of emotions? Well, you know, it gets it get very, very complicated. Uh, so, 
we'll take a look at some of the other theories of emotions are not uh, causal forces, but simply syndromes. And obviously, we're dealing with psychologists now because they like to use words like syndromes of components. So emotion is just a part of a process, uh, which might include uh, motivation, why you're doing what you're doing, feelings, uh, behavior, and psychological changes. But uh, no one of those things uh, or components is the emotion itself. Nor is the emotion an entity that causes these components. And that's, that's another theory when they approach this idea of emotion. So it seems like a very chaotic uh, subject with uh, all these different components. Subjective experiences, cognitive processes, uh, expressive behaviors, psychological changes in your being are all instrumental in behavior modification. But uh, it gets so complex that uh, it makes lots of money for psychiatrists and psychologists who are all trying to figure it out. Can we make this all a little simpler? I'll I'll bring it down to earth, down to uh, the basics. Uh, well, one individual said emotion typically includes subjective, conscious experience, characterized primarily by psychological expression, biological reactions, and mental states. So you got a mental process, you know, what you're thinking, how you react in your mind, what you think is reality. Biological reactions, just those automatic hormones that are released uh, when you're frightened, when you're... you're uh, uh, attracted to something, when you like something, when something tastes good, it creates an emotional response. So these are all just biological reactions. The reality, those those biological reactions, you can actually, they can trigger memories, which can trigger mental processes, which can bring you back to a time when things were really good. And that begins to affect. So the biological reactions are not independent of the mental state. That when they talk about psychological expression, they often talk about it in psychosocial expression. In other words, you have a certain psychological expression that you're, you know, something that which actually has to do again with the mind, where you're expressing something, but your social behavior, your your habits socially, only allow you to express it in certain ways. Like I said, uh, somebody from uh, yeah, Sicily or Cuba might be very, very flamboyant in the way in which they express what they're feeling, while somebody else who might be from Great Britain might be more reserved in their expression of the same emotion. So basically, you have the biological and the mental, but also the social psychological expression of what it is that is coming up in your being your conscious experience that is subject to these pre-existing conditions your mental state your biological state and your social psychological state okay so now with that as a basic foundation to realize where emotion fits into this where the mind fits into this where your your personal biology fits into this i mean the biology between a man and a woman is different the, the the role that they play in reproduction is different. 
They may both have the same desire, but they go about it in a different way. Uh, just because anatomically, this is they are built to do things in a different way, and uh, it's not it's not rocket science. It's not like uh, algebraic stuff that you can fit together, but there are certain patterns that are already built into the natural function that are not changeable. They are basic natural functions and and ways in which to accomplish the ultimate goal, uh, which is a natural goal of reproduction. Okay. Passion is going to involve parts of these different characteristics. Sociological uh, expression, the biological expression, the mental state, all these things. Passion is is the motivation, the, the, the thing that forces you as an individual, pressures you as an individual to go in a particular way. And it's fed by thoughts and by those biological feelings that are produced by those hormones that are inside of us, that are stimulated naturally inside of us. Uh, heredity will play a part in that. What is inside of us is the big question. What is causing, what is the causal uh, factor in us? Well, that could be a lot of things, because there's a lot of things that are, that are inside us. How did it get there? What is it? What uh, is it more than one thing that is inside us that are causing these effects? Anyway, we're going to take a look at that and find out, taking a journey within, find out what is inside of us making us do what we do right after this brief break. So, we're going to look into this whole concept of emotion and, and, uh, and the mental processes the, uh, that go along with it and see if we can't take a look at some of not only the uh, psychological and physiological makeup that causes us to do what we do in order to get a better grasp on the spirituality of ourselves and not really to separate these things out, but to realize what what is us and what is not us. What can we let go? What can we be free from? And what now has us cap, captive? In Galatians 5.1 it says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and not entangle again uh, with the yoke of bondage. So, what exactly does that mean, not entangle again in this yoke of bondage? Well, he was talking about circumcision. Well, circumcision was actually a political uh, experience because of the fact that that was part of your membership in a system of government. And uh, so, he he's what he's trying to do is bring you back to a state of freedom where you are not bound by the rituals of that membership, but bound by the spirit of that membership. And that, of course, is what Christ was trying to bring us to. 
you know, where he was, you know, is it lawful to do this on the Sabbath or that on the Sabbath? And, you know, because he was trying to get people to move according to the Spirit that these rituals were pointing to rather than worship by the ritual alone. And that that's a great temptation where we were always trying to follow the ritual because we think if we follow the ritual, that pleases God. And the absolute opposite is true. That God wants you to follow Him in spirit and in truth. And the ritual is just something that He's passed down to you to explain what the Spirit is. Christ doesn't care about stone temples. Christ doesn't care about, uh, you know, external rituals. You know, when people started keeping dates and all this stuff and counting dates and, and things that worried the apostles. You worry me because you're doing this again. Because really, all that uh, emphasis upon the ritual is idolatry. So anyway, how does this translate into practical terms? Because we all have certain phobias and, uh, and passions and uh, habits, and some of them are bad, and some of them seem good. And I'm going to give you a couple of examples. Uh, I have a grandson who uh, sometimes he has trouble getting motivated. So he has uh, what is it, 30 algebra problems to do every day, and at uh, home studies. And so what he does is he goes and gets an orange, and he peels the orange, and he breaks all the little wedges out so they're all separate, and he lays them out. And he says, every time I do a problem, I get to eat an orange. <laughs> you know, slice of orange. And so that's his motivation to keep him. You know, I can't take that orange, that slice, till I finish this problem. So then I, he keeps him focused. The, he, he, he's giving himself his own treat, <laughs> reward, in order to do the pro- problem. And he's created that as kind of his own little mental process, uh, psycho-sociological process to get him to to do this, the, the problems, to get him done within a period of time. He says he doesn't have to do that if he does his math with his brother. His brother does is younger and he does a lower math and he only has 20 problems. Uh, but he wants to get finished before his brother does. So he races his brother and so he doesn't have to do the orange thing. But if he doesn't have his brother there to do it, then he, he sets us up this other system by which helps him to get it done. Well, you know, so we're talking about emotions uh, that now he 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 can get this treat of the orange because of the fact. So he's got this motivating. And again, emotions is what is moving you. And, but he's created the criteria all on his own in order to do this. His, his brother is a list uh, cross-outer. He makes a list of jobs to do, and when he's done with a job, he crosses it off. And uh, his father evidently does the same thing. As his father has been known to add a job he just finished to the list and then cross it off. <laughs> so it's, it's partly in their nature to do this. It's a, it's passed down from generation to generation. But of course, every child is the product of two different separate lines of generations. Uh, so therefore they will be mixed 
complements of those. We have other more extreme patterns where you had people like Jeffrey Dahmer who uh, went out and killed and ate people to dominate them. He was very dominated as a child and he, this is his, he became addicted that he did he felt guilty after he did these things. But then he still went back to them time and time again. John Wayne Casey, or Gacy, he did the, you know, 23 bodies buried underneath his house and possibly many others that he killed and dumped into rivers uh, around the, the area where he lived. Kept returning to this macabre behavior. Everybody thought he was a nice guy, a wonderful guy, until they discovered what he was really doing. Habit, passion, emotions. It could be a good thing. It could be a bad thing. And so it's very important to know what is making me passionate about this, that, or the other thing. And we have certain criteria in nature, in uh, in society that says this is bad and this is good. And you don't want to go this way. You want to go that way. Now, again, what we do is we begin to worship the form rather than the reason. And so now all of a sudden, because somebody does not match up or conform to what we call the formula, the social formula, we condemn them, we put them down, we we hate them, we are cruel to them. And that is because we do that is to fixate our own mind on what we consider to be the right way. Yet Christ sat down with saints and sinners. Sat down with people and and, uh, uh, came to the defense of harlots. Not that he condoned what they did. One of the interesting things, the Nicolaitans. The deeds of the Nicolaitan God hates. Not the Nicolaitan himself. And by hate he means disapproves of. Uh, passionately disapproves of. Why? Because he knows that the deeds of the Nicolaitans leads to destruction. It weakens the poor. If you don't know what the deeds of the Nicolaitans are, because most of you out there are Nicolaitans. <laughs> Did you know that? That's that's rather disappointing. I should be tickling your ears and tell you that you're all saved. No, what the fact is, most of you practice the deeds of the Nicolaitans on a regular basis. You even do it right after coming out of church and right before going to church. And your pastor thinks it's great. And he just keeps tickling your ears. But we don't do that. So if you want to know what a lit Nicolation is, go to one of our websites, Preparing You or His Holy Church, and look up Nicolations. And and find out what and who the Nicolations are. Because you're probably one of them. At least what your deeds are. But God doesn't hate you, but He hates those deeds. Why? Because they they lead to your destruction. They actually draw you away from God. It is the deeds of the Nicolaitans is the antithesis of what draws you to God. And and the deeds of the Nicolaitans is predominant in the world today. Every nation in the world has citizens as a rule that are following the deeds of the Nicolaitans. But anyway, I'll let you go do that as your homework assignment. Uh, so, anyway, when we marry, uh, choose to marry, when we uh, uh, 
have a choose a boyfriend girlfriend uh when we choose to go to school when we choose to go to college uh to study to do things uh to work at a job and be successful at a job or start our own business all these moves in our even you know how we dress how we clean ourselves or don't clean ourselves are all motivated out of these emotions you know, uh, just like he, he's going to do this math problem because he's gonna, he can eat that orange. Nobody imposed that rule on him. He imposed it upon himself because he knows he needs that motivation to help him get through. So God knew we would need motivation too. So he gives us emotions to move us. But other people, other entities, other conditions and circumstances beyond our control can begin to manipulate our emotions and move us in directions that are not good. Drug addiction. Extreme emotional involvement in drug addiction. Even drugs you say, well, that's non-addictive drug. You know, uh, but yet it's your passions and your emotions that draw you and use that drug. Alcohol, marijuana, uh, or heroin. Uh, cocaine, meth. I mean, you, uh, how many people know that meth destroys you and your body? Yet, it's still selling like hotcakes. And people are still going that way. And you think like, why are you doing that? It's crazy. It's insane. But everything you do is tied somehow or other to these motivating characteristics that come from your subconscious they come from society around you, your friends. Because, I mean, I live in this society. And I, I know lots of people, but I'm not as affected by the opinions of my friends as I am affecting the opinions of my friends. <laughs> uh, that's the difference between, uh, you know, what is driving me? What is driving you? What is inside of us? is very important to take a look inside of us because behind that dark curtain to look inside what is moving us uh, I know people are just obsessed with driving people away from them they drive their children away from them they drive their uh, relatives away from their friends away from them and they lead terribly lonely existences and they can't figure out why but they also don't want to look you want to sit down and talk to them about why are you doing this? Uh, they would just blow up. They would become angry. They don't want to see. So how do you, how do you help them? Well, you know, there's some amazing things that you can do if you help yourself first. If you begin to see inside yourself first. See what's moving you. What's motivating you. Those secret sources of motion in your life that you don't know why you do this but you do it so what's inside of us that's what we need to know uh we're told to study to be still be still and know uh what is that all about the fact is if you went and we uh, on ours you can go listen to some of our shows on meditation if you went and tried to sit still and wait upon the lord not react uh, not uh, 
get into uh, mental processes where you're thinking about this and that and what happened there and what you're going to do. But you just sit still and be aware of yourself sitting in the moment. All sorts of thoughts will rise up in your mind. Sitting still is a very hard thing to do. Very difficult thing to do. Can you do it without trying? Just say, I'm, I'm going to fast from acting and reacting. Thinking about, because see, you can, you can sit there and think about things that frighten you and become afraid. Cause those hormones to secrete adrenaline. Because you're thinking about all these things. And we have so many things. You watch a movie, a, a scary movie, and people love to watch scary movies. Some do. Because it, it stimulates life. It stimulates those hormones, that adrenaline. And, uh, it's a release. Uh, but they're only watching it. You know, nothing's in the TV gonna actually jump out and get them. Yet they go through that process because they need that stimulation. What happens if you were deprived of stimulation? Or chose to deprive yourself of stimulation? I'm not gonna think about this. I'm not gonna react. I'm not gonna entertain these thoughts. Follow these conversations in my mind. I'm going to sit still and wait upon the Lord to show me what is inside of me. What is in there? What? Who's pulling the strings? You see, because some of the things that are inside of you is not you. It got inside of you through trauma. Through somebody doing something to you or something happening to you. Or something that frightened you. Usually fear is a a big part of it. But also pleasure can be a part of it. And you don't want those things pulling your strings either. You want to be set free. And not be entangled again in the elements of the yoke of bondage. And that bondage is you know, one of the biggest chains of our bondage is forged in emotion. And it draws us back to certain patterns of behavior that may be self-destructive. May keep you from seeing the truth of a particular situation. We talked about psychosis. Psychosis is this inability to see reality as it is. You simply cannot see reality as it is. On some of our uh, shows on the mind, which you can listen to at Preparing You... And the whole articles on the subject, where people have phantom limbs, where they have, uh, you know, they had an arm cut off, but they still feel the arm, and it still hurts, and has pain, and all this stuff, and so they, they, they create a box where you see the, you know, the right arm is gone, but you stick your left arm in there, and you see what looks like your right arm on the other side is is doing everything your left arm is doing, but. You and you try to move both as if they are coordinated together, and you're actually looking at a reflection of your left arm, and the phantom pain goes away that may have plagued you for years and years and years, but it only goes away while you look at your at the mental uh, the mirrored image of your left arm as if it was your right arm. And then when you take your hand out of the box, now the pain comes back again. But if you keep using the box, and they've done this, 
eventually the pain goes away and doesn't come back. Because you've trained your mind that it's okay. And the pain goes away. So the whole pain and everything to begin with was a mental aberration. So we see that with that that situation with somebody who has an arm cut off and has this phantom pain that they cannot deal with and they try to take medication they, and they finally cure it simply by training the mind to imagining that the right arm is still there and the pain goes away and then they practice going to the place mentally where the pain goes away until even when they're not looking at the image in the mirrored box, the pain doesn't come back. And they've trained themselves. Well, what about people? Did you know there are people who actually believe, they look down, they see their right arm, and they think it's not their arm. They think it's somebody else's arm. Or something else, that it's not theirs. No, that's not my arm. But it's attached to you. Yeah, but it's not my arm. I know that's not my arm. And they, they actually believe that. And this is not all that uncommon. I mean, it's, it's somewhat rare, but it happens all over the world. Some people have actually had their arm surgically removed because it's not their arm. They know it's not their arm. And, uh, and it bothers them. It's just, it just irritating the heck out of them. And so they have their arm literally cut off. In order to adjust. And some of them seem to adjust. But many times. They didn't cut off enough. There's a little bit left. That's not theirs. And so that you know, they want to go back into surgery. And have a little bit more cut off. Well eventually they start getting to the head. Because of course. This is a head problem. To begin with. And you think like you actually went. And had your arm surgery. You can't have that put back you know. But that people are actually have done this. And now we're getting closer to the problem <laughs> that we're going to be talking about. Where does that idea come from that part of them is not them? And then this gets into the whole idea of body mapping. When somebody has an arm that is actually cut off, a limb that's cut off, accident or whatever, they will remap that limb on another part of their body. Where and this was an amazing discovery. We we have some videos up that explain how this works and everything. Where they may remap a hand that was cut off on their face. Their body remaps the existence of that hand on their face. And so if you tickle a little spot here, it will be this finger, the index finger. You tickle this little spot over here. And it will be the middle finger. And you tickle this spot. It's the back of the hand. And a guy goes through and he draws a map of where this... He's blindfolded. So he doesn't know where you're actually tickling. But he thinks you're tickling his hand. Which doesn't exist anymore. But he's actually tickling a part of your face. Because that's where you remapped it. You You could remap it on your stomach. You could remap it a lot of different places. But the body remaps the existence of your hand somewhere on you. And the doctor goes through and discovers where, where that is. And he says, well, this is, this is where you've remapped your hand, the existence of your hand. 
because that that's what the body does. They're supposed to naturally. There's supposed to be a hand there. It's gone. So what do I do with the fact that it's gone? So there's all kinds of invisible mental processes going on that you're completely unaware of that have an effect on you physiologically and emotionally. And you you don't understand how that's all going on. Now, couple that with the idea that trauma can get inside of you. Somebody else's, this is how evil enters into your body. Someone who probably was molested themselves or abused themselves abuse you. Now, there there are all kinds of levels of abuse. I mean, there's obviously somebody can, you know, do heinous, terrible things to a small child. But sometimes abuse is really rather mild and maybe not even noticeable. But the spirit that was in that individual got there when they were abused and now they pass because you have to let it out, right? Everybody tells you you got to let it out. Don't keep it within. Well, some of the time when people are let, most of the time when people are letting it out, they're passing it on to somebody else, kind of like the zombie. Zombie gets the disease. The zombie has to go and bite somebody else to give them the, the disease to pass it on. Can't let it keep it in. You got to let it out, right? So they go and they bite somebody else. Werewolf. Werewolf gets bit. Now the werewolf has to bite you. And you become a werewolf. Vampire. Vampire gets bit. Now the vampire has to bite you. And you become a vampire. You see, that, that pattern, we see that over and over again in our folklore. And in reality, that's actually what we're doing all the time. Somebody injures you. You've got to injure somebody else. Somebody infests you with the, with the, the spirit of abuse. You're going to have to go and abuse somebody else. That's one reaction. There's another reaction that you could pass on. And this, this is powerful. This is powerful. You can forgive your abuser. Now what he tried to pass on to you, where does it go? It comes back on him. If you forgive him with love, it comes back to him with love and infects him. And it and traumatizes the evil in him. This is how you drive out demons. But we're going to have to talk about this in the next show coming up. So that you can learn how to drive out demons. But you better have the ultimate teacher do it. We'll be back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we were talking about emotion. And we can probably sum that up as that motion is the movers. It's the movers in your life. The things that move you. They emotion you. They they set you into motion. Now, there's a lot of different movers. And it's kind of like that uh, that little thing we see on the desks of people where they have like six little silver balls or... Uh, steel balls hanging there from strings and you pick up one silver ball and you swing it out and you let it come and hit the others and it hits the others but only one ball on the other end swings out 
And if you pull back two balls, and, you, and then all of a sudden two. And the fact is, is one mover causes the ball's way at the end to move. You don't see the ball that moves get hit, but you see all the others get hit. And this is a chain reaction that takes place. And the motions work much that same way. There's lots of different factors. Physical factors, mental factors, uh, you know, that uh, socio uh, factors, uh, hereditary factors, which are also physical, but they're kind of all hooked together, and that's you. And something hits them and causes a reaction and emotion at the other end. Now, what happens is there are foreign objects that come into play that sometimes get inserted in the process and they begin to affect the whole of the process. So you want to get rid of those things that are not you that have gotten in there that are affecting you. A lot of these people who commit these crimes over and over again, these heinous crimes, they want somebody to stop them. There was one, I can't remember his name right offhand, but when he was going to the electric chair or uh, going to be executed, he thought that this was the only way to cure him. It's not the only way to cure him. It didn't really cure him. It just stopped him. It stopped him in that physical body. But it didn't cure him. It wasn't a solution. But that's what people decided to do with him. There are other things to do. And what happens is that the evil, there's actually now, if you listen to our shows on uh, Secrets of the Universe and Heaven and and uh, uh, the quantum effect, the string theory, uh, you realize that science is saying that there are other multiple dimensions. And in these dimensions, entities can live. And they're spending millions and billions, millions and billions, millions of dollars to open doors into these other in, uh, realms, uh, these parallel universes that they believe are out there. Now, these aren't... Uh, crazy religionists, well they are, but uh, they're, they're science religionists, because science is a religion now. And they believe that these things exist, and of course we believe that they exist. Uh, you know, people who have studied the Bible and read the Bible, that heaven and hell exist. What are they? They're parallel dimensions, <laughs> which entities live. And those entities may try a number of different ways to influence us. Christ didn't come to rule over us and trick us. He came to show us how to be set free. Now, the evil comes and they want to manipulate and control and force us. And then we see this manifested in the world today where your neighbor wants to force you to contribute to his welfare. This is evil. This is the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And they want to force you. And they think it's okay. They've, they've become so comfortable with it. The idea of having public schools and... Uh, public supported fire departments and everything. I mean, obviously fire departments is a good thing, right? But it should be supported by volunteerism. Otherwise, you bind one another. You covet one another's goods. You desire, you force one another to contribute to your welfare. And you've opened a door into a universe that we call hell. You're opening the door to hell and you're being drawn near the ways of hell. Not the ways of righteousness. Not the ways of God who gives you choice. 
Satan takes choice away from you. He wants to choose what you're going to do and what you can't do and must do. And he disguises his power to control what you're doing by saying he's going to set you free. Great swelling words. He's going to set you free. But he's actually going to bring you into bondage. You know, it's like the people who want communism because they want a fair society and they believe that that will... No. That empowers somebody else to decide what will be fair and what will not be fair. And how to control you and how to manipulate you and everybody else. But anyway, we're getting off the subject there a little bit, but yet not really that far off the subject. So, we were talking about how this works where you bite somebody else. Be careful you do not bite one another lest you be devoured. And you pass on the trauma that's in you by traumatizing somebody else. Well, you can pass on the righteousness in you as well by loving one another, by doing things for one another. We had somebody in one of the congregations that wanted to leave the congregation and they actually moved away already anyway, but... uh, they didn't want to be associated anymore because they said there was no fruit in the congregation. And I thought, you know, I chuckled when I heard this. And I asked the minister, who was it who did, who pulled more time and energy from you and the rest of the congregation than all the people in the congregation? Well, it was that individual. They were the most demanding. They received the most help from anybody And they contributed probably the least. Yet they didn't see any fruit. Well, what's fruit? (laughs) They don't realize that they... And what they were doing was going off and falling in love with the ritual, the form. And, And, of course, they don't need fruit because they always got the government. The government will give them fruit, will give them unemployment, and will... uh you know, help them out with welfare and food stamps and and all these things. So that and they think that that's fruit, but what it actually is doing is drawing them into a spiritual realm where you can bite one another, where it's it's legal to bite one another. It's actually encouraged to bite one another, to take from people who have because you don't have, and so you're 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 following a spirit. In this other realm. And you're getting closer and closer to the the spiritual uh, source of the reality that you're creating. By following the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Back to that deeds of the Nicolaitans. Which you need to, to look up and find out what the deeds of the Nicolaitans are. So, what happens if evil bites you and you forgive them? Now you set up a process whereby that you forgive them in love. Don't just forgive them as some sort of ritual, but you actually lovingly forgive them. You realize that they do not know what they do. And I've I've just started an argue, uh, article on on that where some people were translating forgive them not for they know what they do instead of forgive them they know not what they do. And I show in Greek, standard Greek syntax. And then I I back this up by looking at the theme of the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament. I'm not quite done with it, but we will release it on the networks shortly. 
or when we get the time to do so. But the reality is, is that is that forgive them, they know not what they do. Forgive them out of love. That's a power. Energy flows from, and now you're drawing near Christ and the character of Christ in the energy that is from the realm of Christ, which comes by way of the Holy Spirit, flows from you to them. And it will drive demons away. It will drive the evil away. They cannot stand the light. To them, it is painful. And you drive them away. If you fight them on their terms, if you resist them evil on its terms, you will feed evil. You will make it stronger in your life. But anyway, let's go back to uh, uh, this, what is inside you that is stimulating the emotions, making driving you, the driving forces of your life. Are they all good? I mean, there are certain natural ones, reproduction, uh, find food, uh, hunting and foraging. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I will do my math problems and then I will get to eat this orange. <laughs> so, he's, he's tapping in. He's created a social structure at the uh, dining room table where he does his studies. I think that's where he does them. I'm not sure where he does them. Uh, where if I... If I finish this problem, I get to eat that orange slice. And we talked about that in the last show, if anybody doesn't know what I'm talking about. But he's created a social environment in which he is motivated to do what he needs to get done because he logically knows that he needs to get it done. His parents have told him to get it done and he wants to please them. But that's not enough. He has to create this extra ritual of finish the problem and eat the orange. And these are mechanics of society. This is how we do things a lot of times. What are other motivating factors that are inside us that we don't see that are that are causing us not to be able to where we need this counterbalance in our uh, socioeconomic structure? And are there th- elements inside of us And how do we get rid of them that are detrimental to life, that are actually causing us, you know, like causing Jeffrey Dahmer to kill and eat people, causing somebody else to be rude. I mean, it doesn't have to be the extreme. We see the extreme, but the same process will take place on more subtle levels. What is causing you to abandon your congregation, walk away from it and go somewhere else and accept ideas that you've never known before, why is it convenient to do that? Is it because when I'm with the congregation, I am seeing parts of myself I do not want to see? If Is my congregation, the people I'm congregating with, actually not tickling my ears and making me feel good? But they're actually making challenging me to see myself as I really am? And how did they do that? You see, if you patiently love somebody, kind to them, help them, and you don't do it for any selfish motivation, you know what's going to happen? They're going to see their selfish motivation. It's going to bring a light to the relationship. Remember, emotions is about relationships. As much as, you know, a lot of, or the lack of those relationships. 
when people are bringing light to it because they're just treating you with the love of Christ, you may find that light uncomfortable. If you have somebody in your congregation that you think like this person really doesn't belong here, they got all these, you know, the 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 way they do things and the the way they treat people and the, they're lazy or they're selfish, whatever it is. I mean, it could be a million things, and you think, why are they here? You just keep bringing, turning the light up, turning the light up, turning the light up. You don't have to necessarily criticize them or pick on them. You just have to love them. And they, and if you learn how to love properly, you will drive them away. Christ could have drove away all the people that were trying to crucify him. Anytime he wanted, he could have drove them away and stopped them in their tracks. But he chose not to because he was following a plan which most people do not understand. Most religionists today don't understand what Christ was really doing. Christ was opening a door. Problem is, everybody's going through the other door that evil opens. How does evil open a door? It gets you to want things, lust after things. It will turn you over to unnatural passions. And and when you see people being turned over to unnatural passions, you know that the door is opening to the world, this realm of evil. And that's opening wide now, which is actually part of the hot topic that I was going to, I promised to talk about, but I didn't tell anybody what it was. Uh, what is inside of us? How did it get there? Is it us or is it something foreign to us? Does it have a life of its own? Does it have an agenda of its own? Uh, who is making our choices for us? Are we making our choices or is somebody else making our choices and convincing us that it's us? You know, the, all the temptation doesn't come from outside. It may not be us. It may come from inside. So the question is, what is us and what is not us? Who is the enemy? The enemy, is it us or is it in us? What do we really love? Who are we as individuals? Why do we have these phobias? There's all these kinds of questions. Now, the debate that's going on in the world today is, what bathrooms are we allowed to use? (laughs) You know, we've got the world on the brink of economic collapse whole world on the verge of economic collapse. you got 30 days supply of wheat in the pipeline worldwide to feed the world. We're on the verge of what is probably going to be global cooling. Certainly vast weather changes that can devastate crops worldwide and interrupt the flow of food unbelievably so that millions, even billions of people will starve to death. We are having uh, uh, political events worldwide that could end up in, uh, uh, as well as geological and astronomical events that could shut down power for half the planet overnight. Uh, which, according to you know the people that do the studies, say that ninety percent, if this happened in America, ninety percent of Americans would be dead within the first year. What is it? Four hundred million Americans. That would leave, what, 
40 million Americans when we're done. Uh, that's not very good figures. <laughs> Uh, for the whole United States, uh, could happen in Europe, could happen a lot of places. Now, you shut down the power, Africa would suffer tremendously, but they shut down the rest of, uh, European and American, uh, influence and, uh, trade, and, uh, Africa could go back into the Dark Ages. Same with South America. I mean, people would be back in the jungles trying to survive and killing each other and eating each other and everything else. There have been climate changes from time to time back in 500 AD where there was cannibalism in Europe and in Asia because there simply was no growing season. For several years, there there was no summer, period. And you couldn't grow any kind of crops, failed over and over again. There's 7 billion, maybe 8 billion people in the world today. They all eat every day. If you start devastating the crops like there was in 500 AD, uh, the the last major global cooling was in uh, probably around 1700 to the early 1800s. And, you know, the rivers were freezing over all winter that don't freeze over now. They may be freezing over again. Maybe not. I don't know. But what's happening in society is that we're moving. Whole of society is moving and being moved mentally and emotionally away from certain patterns to the patterns that we call the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And they don't, they don't, with all that happening in the world, people are arguing over can transgender people, you know, a guy who thinks he's a woman, use the women's restroom. And they're arguing about it. And people are saying, we're shocked. We're facing all this possible Iranian nuclear wars, uh, uh, EMPs from Korea, uh, economic collapse worldwide, uh, food shortages, we're facing all this stuff, and you guys are worried about who's using what bathroom. Well, actually, what is the most significant event taking place? This controversy over who's using what bathroom is actually as telling as anything else in the news. Of course, mostly what you see in the news is ridiculous and absurd. And it's insane. You got, you got the attorney general threatening the state of Carolina because they're saying no men have to use the men's restroom, women have to use the women's restroom. They're not picking on anybody. They're just saying you got male plumbing, use the male restroom. You got female plumbing, use the female restroom. That's that's it. That's the division. You know what the reality. You're you got male parts, use the male restroom. Period. But now now we're going to threaten the entire state and everybody in the state because what, less than 1% of the people want to use the other restroom? We're going to take a lawsuit against them and because of this terrible thing where they say guys use the guys' restroom, women use the women's restroom? That's insane. It's crazy. And they sit up there and they talk on the news and people listen to them like they have some sort of sense in what they're saying. 
And But now a lot of you are saying, well, this is absolutely crazy. But it is crazy, but it is telling. It's psychosis. They can't see the truth. They can't see reality. I heard one news commentator point out, it says, wait a minute, you get to use the women's restroom, you're a guy, you get to use the women's restroom because you feel like you're a woman. Well, what happens if I feel handicapped? Then I get to use handicapped parking. I'd love to see somebody, I would, you know, if I had the time and the energy and all that stuff, I'd love to challenge that in court. Wait, wait a minute, I felt handicapped. That's discrimination to say that I, I, I have to have, uh, you know, doctors prove my uh, handicap sticker. Because I'm not handicapped. I just feel handicapped. So I should be able to use the handicap parking, right? I mean, if you feel like a woman, you get to use the women's restroom. Even though you're not a woman, you're a man. The reality is you're a man. But you feel like a woman, so you get to use the women's restroom. Well, I should be able to... I feel handicapped. I should be able to use the handicapped parking. You can't give me a ticket anymore. What happened if I, if I'm from Iran or Iraq or Syria or Mexico? I feel like an American. I should be able to come to America. I don't need a passport. I feel like an American. I should be allowed to come to America. You can't stop me at the borders. That's discrimination. I feel like an American. <laughs> I mean, like, this is how crazy it is. This is how insane it is. You know, that they do this. Now, what, what is a psychiatrist, chief psychiatrist at John Hopkins Hospital for 26 years, a medical institution that used to be involved and pioneered sex change surgery for people who say, I feel like a woman. And they want to change themselves physically. They later ceased that practice, but they pioneered it originally. Okay, what does he say about this? Stress that the culture of mem, he says, or ideas that one sex is fluid and a matter of choice is extremely damaging, especially to young people. You know, they call it gender dysphoria. A state of unease or generalized dissatisfaction with your gender. Your life because of your gender. So you want to change it. Because you're dissatisfied. Because they call it dysphoria. It actually should be called a syndrome. But they got away from that. Because you know, that makes people feel bad. It's psychosis. You're a guy, but you don't want to admit that you're a guy. You want to... You don't feel comfortable with it. Well, what about the guy who got his arm cut off and he felt like the arm was still there? Or the guy who felt like his arm was not his arm and wanted it cut off. And so he actually had his arm. Now, you know, now he is handicapped. You know? Because he had his arm cut off. And so now he can't work. And so now he gets to be on government dole. What about the guy who thinks he's a six-year-old girl and now he gets adopted by a family and he has a family but he doesn't want to have to support them anymore because he's only a six-year-old girl. At least he feels like that. That's crazy. But we're not supposed to use the word crazy. That's what he feels. So we're supposed to cater to it. But according to this Dr. McHugh, no, you shouldn't cater to it. 
the condition of feeling one's emotional or psychological identity as a male or female to be the opposite to one's biological reality. That's what this uh, this uh, gender dysphoria is all about. Now, some say it belongs to a family of disorders, assumptions about the body, such as anorexia or, or nevo- uh, anorexia nervosa, which anorexia where people aren't, aren't eating and they're becoming... I know some people, they were down to like 90 pounds and their organs were starting to shut down because they had this fear of weight gain. They feared this uh, pathological fear of weight gain. Uh, which leads to these terrible eating patterns and, and, and a state of malnutrition, usually excessive weight loss. That's what this uh, anorexia nervosa is. Okay, so uh, how does Dr. Uh, McHugh says he says, the treatment of this gender dysphoria uh, should not be directed at the body. As with a surgery or hormones, any more than the treatment of uh, anorexic patients should be liposuction. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, well, the ones that I've seen, there's no way that you could use liposuction. But he says it's insane. the The idea that you you change the person physically to match what they feel, you know. Is, he says that's crazy. Now he's from the hospital that was pioneering this, these operations. But he's saying that this is this is not right. He says a lot more than that. Now I'm sure not a lot of our listeners, but a lot of people that might listen to this eventually will disagree with what I'm going to say. But I'm going to back it up with reality and statistics. But then I'm also going to show you why this is a sign of our times and how this fits in to where we are headed as a world not a nation but as a world today we'll be right back so welcome back so we were talking about the fact that the sign of the times is the fact that people who are males think they're females and people who are females think they are males. Uh, there's a lot more to this. This is just part of that. But what it is is that people are perverting the natural use of sexuality to something other than the purpose of sexuality, which is the reproduction of the species. That's that's what it's there for, is to reproduce the species. We've perverted that, and that is a sure sign that the species is about to go through a huge die-off. A huge die-off. Now, it's not... The, the people who are victim to this are not the cause of it. The cause goes much deeper. And there are subtle things that are changing that are not so... I mean, you always have somebody throwing up a picture of some guy, clearly a guy, in drag, and saying, you know, look at this, this is crazy and everything. Well, that's obvious. I mean, it's like holding up Jeffrey Dahmer and talking about bad habits. Yeah, he's got bad habits. Okay, he kills and eats people. 
But there's a lot of bad habits that are not quite as dramatic, but they're still moving down the same path. And so the idea of dealing with the problem of transgenderism or uh, gender dysphoria by actually allowing them to have a physical surgery is crazy. Even putting on a dress and wig and lipstick and stuff, that's crazy too. It's crazy because you're hurting the individual who has the fixation. You're humoring a psychosis. It is a psychosis because the reality is they are this, but they want to think they are something else because they have some sort of discomfort with what they with reality. The person who has the arm that he thinks is not his arm is invaded somewhere. What's happening is mapping out in his physical body is something that is going on in his spiritual being, in his emotional and spiritual being. There's something in him that is not him. And he has mapped it to exclude that what's in him is that's not him is his arm. That's where he's put it. He's put it in his arm. And if I cut off my arm, then I won't have this foreign thing in me anymore. That's It will be detached. I will detach it from But the reality is it's spiritual. Something is in him that is foreign. He has recognized that, but he has mapped it into his arm. And he thinks if I cut it off, it'll be gone. But no, it'll still be in there. And what is it doing? It is driving him to destroy him. One finger, one hand, one arm at a time. He cut off the arm. He says, oh, we should have cut off the elbow too. Because now it's the elbow is foreign. It doesn't have anything to do with the body. This is physical mapping of an emotional and spiritual problem. That we can deal with. That we can go to. And we have to, all we have to do is see it. You know, like the guy who has the phantom pain. He sees what looks like his right arm. He knows it's not his right arm. He's looking in a box and he's seeing the reflection of his left arm. Mentally, he knows exactly what he's looking at. But as long as he imagines it to be his right arm moving like his left arm, then the, he is allowed to remap the pain centers till the pain goes away. His brain is just doing this back there in his subconscious. And it's freeing him from the pain. This is what forgiveness does, by the way. Forgiveness can remap your... And what will destroy you? Rituals, which is idolatry. Where you say, oh, we have to follow this ritual. We have to follow this pattern. Physical pattern. We will follow this physical pattern and it will straighten us out spiritually. That's witchcraft. That's idolatry. No, you have to look, you have to take the spiritual journey into yourself and see yourself as you really are. Forgive yourself as well as the other people who have gotten into you. Their identities have gotten into you. You have to forgive that in order to be set free. This is what forgive them. They know not what they do leads to setting you free. That is the spirit that you have to approach everything. But the transgender person, the person who is uncomfortable with the reality of his sex, 
the the reality of his anatomy, you know, whether it's his right arm or his, uh, you know, or another part of his body, he thinks he needs to cut off in order to be comfortable with him, with the reality of himself. This is all a spiritual thing. This has nothing to do with your physical body. It doesn't have nothing to do. Your hormones are being secreted based on the way in which you've been wired and you've been wired because of trauma. 10 to 15 years after surgical reassignment, the suicide rate of those who had undergone the sex reassignment surgery rose to 20 times that of their comparable peers. That's amazing. So, in in other words, if you recommend or pay for the surgery, you have created the risk that you are 20 times more likely to want to take your life within the next 10 years, 10 to 15 years. You have done that patient a disservice. Now, this is... Because he went on to say, it proves not easy nor wise to live in a counterfeit sexual garb, whether it's clothes or you actually physically alter yourself through surgery. The most thorough follow-up of sex reassignment people, extending over 30 years and conducted in Sweden, where their culture is strongly supportive of transgenders, documents their lifelong mental unrest. Why? Because the problem is not... You don't change the problem by changing the physical reality of the individual. We have gone so far that parents are actually altering their children. That's that's mutilation. Now, that, again, this is a sign of the times. What are you doing that's much more subtle, not so obvious, that is that is keeping you from seeing the truth about yourself? Again, you know, like I say, you, you, we can talk about people who have bad habits and use Jeffrey Dahmer as an example, or we can take somebody else who has something a lot less dramatic. Like you, I'm sure you have some bad habits. Things you do, you should not do, but you do them habitually because of something pulling the strings of your emotions from inside yourself that does not really belong there, that's not really you. You want to be free of that. You have to take that journey within. One of the ways to take that journey within is who haven't you forgiven? Who giving, you cannot give to people you don't forgive. It's very, very difficult. You're not attracted to give to people you don't forgive. So you need to give and forgive in order to take that journey. It helps you, it draws you near. Sacrifice. The word sacrifice in the Hebrew is from a word that means to draw near. You want to draw near the righteousness of Christ. You have to sacrifice for the well-being of other people. Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's just showing up at meetings. Maybe it's going to... You know, like all our congregations are small. They're meant to be small because they need to be intimate. 
You don't want a 500-man congregation. You want 50 10-man congregations. And even the, the, the 50 are broke down into five separate groups of 10-man congregations. <laughs> that's, that's how networking works. Otherwise, it becomes a cancer. And so you, you link these relationships. Okay, so how do you start a food kitchen with 10 people? That's not very many people. That, that take a lot of time. Well, there's lots of food kitchens out there already started. There's a lot of shelters already started. There are a lot of people out there already working with the homeless. You get together in your congregation, two, three, four, five people, and you go and you work with those people. And you bring the light of Christ. You're not going to start your big charitable organization and all this stuff. You're just going to go help. Serve one another. But you now you, you there's good ways to do this and bad ways to do this. And you can figure that out. That's another, another topic for another time. There's a thing called autogenophilia. It's a, it's a sex-fueled mental illness. They actually say it's a mental illness that was, uh, the term was created by Ray Blanchard. And he defines it as a man is paraphilic tendencies to be sexually aroused by the thought or image of himself as a woman. Now, who, who do we know who has that feeling? Well, Bruce Jenner. You know, Bruce Jenner. Now, I, I haven't ever met the guy and I don't, I don't know the guy. I remember back when he was in uh, the Olympics and everything. But what's, what's really going on is that he, he's a autogenophilia. And he's drawn to that. And, and we can go through, there's all kinds of little names and, you know, they categorize it. And we can get all complicated about it and everything. And there really isn't any point in that. And the, the reality is, is this is not natural. But now he dresses up like a woman and all this kind of stuff and everything. Uh, and they, people actually encourage this by giving him woman of the year award. It was like insane. But, uh, and, and it's going to lead to more and more trauma. The more and more you people cater to his delusion, the more disservice you're doing to him. You're going to create more and more trauma for him. You're going to prolong it. It's going to be a greater fall. And and the fact is, is he's fooling himself. And, it's, and he's also trying to fool Mother Nature. And it's not nice to fool Mother Nature. <laughs> so... So, what does all this mean? Romans one twenty six says, For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women, now he says even their women, did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Now, that means the men were doing it, but even the women were doing it. And of course, we have that taking place today. And, and the and the next verse is, and likewise also the men, the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned with a lust, in their lust, one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves. 
that recompense of their error which was meet. Now what what are they talking about? I mean that's what we're seeing. That's why you have twenty times the suicide rate. That's not this you know, that's not a small figure. Suicide rate amongst people who we cater to and we think we're helping them out by saying, Oh yes, let them change and you know, let them do this and let's let them have their, you know, so they can go into any restroom and everything. We're catering to their psychosis, which is going to be bringing them closer and closer to, I mean, with the ultimate loss, which is suicide. There's a whole lot of damage that is being done to them psychologically, emotionally, physically, that is not easily repaired in most cases. And physically, they can't go back. And they're actually doing this to children. And why is that? Because they're the people, not just the people doing this, but the people that are catering to them are being turned over to an unnatural approach to very natural reality. And, and they get violent when you point out that this is crazy, insane, unnatural. But the fact is, is this is a sign of the times. And this is, this is, the, Part of the extreme, but there's a lot more subtle things, like people who go and want to go to public school, want to go to uh, uh, get public benefits, uh, welfare, food stamps, all these things, and they think, well, this is the way we do it now. We, we, we take, take from men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. Uh, you know, we need this assistance, you know, because I, I have kids who need help, I have... Uh, uh, you know, how else can I support them if I don't get assistance from the government? Well, have you been seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness with your whole heart, mind, and soul? Have you been laying down your life daily as Christ laid down his life for you? If you had Christ in you, that would not be hard to do. But it is hard for you to do. And so we we take an orange and we slice the orange up and say, you get an orange... <laughs> Get a slice if you deal with this problem. You you have to do it. You have to set the parameters. So you gather together in congregations. And guess what? All the people in your congregation, they're not going to be a perfect. So you get into this congregation. And you deal with the people that are in that congregation. Because God's put them there. Brought them to you. And But, but mostly what you're going to deal with is you. Your unforgiveness, your impatience, your unnatural desires. I mean, obviously, you don't have to be, uh, you know, transgender or transvestite to have unnatural desires. You, you can you can just be angry. You want to be judged. You want to you you want people to give you fruit. You say, I don't see any fruit being bear, bear, born in this congregation. In reality. You are the one who is the recipient of almost all the fruit that the congregation brought. What is the fruit? What was the fruit of Christ? Christ came to give his life willingly. If Christ is in you, you will gather together to give your life willingly. You, don't you do that when you have children? When you have children and you, you give up your time, you you wake up in the middle of the night, you take care of them, you go to work, you earn money, you don't spend it on yourself, you spend it on your kids, you spend it on what the kids need, you, you do without, you sacrifice for your kids. Why? Because that's part of God drawing you towards the kingdom. 
Now, the other realm that you can be drawn to, what is it going to be? It's going to be selfish. It's going to say, oh, we want nicer school. Let's just tax everybody in the community and force them to pay for a nicer school, more health care for the teachers, more uh, vacation time for the teachers. We will just take from the general population. Now we see the rise of socialism in America where it's not only okay to say that you're a socialist. It is it is a driven thing in in millions upon millions upon millions of individuals. The spirit of socialism is alive and well and being promoted as a good thing. And what what does it say after that verse 27? And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. You know what? Atheists? People that don't believe in God think you're funny for thinking that there's multiple realms, which is actually a scientific reality. God gave them over to reprobate minds to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate. Oh, they love debate. Deceit. They they love to deceive. They get a kick out of it. They actually giggle when they fool you. Malignity. Whisperers. Oh, they love to tell stories behind your back. Backbiters. Oh, they love that. Oh, you guys just don't know like I know. Haters of God. They actually are haters. They may have a form of godliness. But they despise the power thereof. They deny it. Haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. And and so you'll be choosing, what liar do I want to elect as prime minister, president, or whatever? They will be disobedient to parents. They won't even care about their parents. They won't be, for generations now, we haven't had to take care of our parents. We've turned them over to the government to take care of them. Because we gave. We, our sacrifice was our social, we paid into social security. Our parents are supposed to be taken care of by social security. And we get vehement if we think, oh, we, you know, there were riots at the time of Jesus Christ mentioned in the Bible that were, those riots took place because they accused the government of pilfering their social security. You probably don't know that. Of course, you didn't know what Nicolaitans were. I'm not here to tickle your ears to make you feel good about your error. I want you to see it so you turn around, repent, and go back the other way. Without understanding the covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, why are you in a congregation to learn to love? You don't join a congregation so that people will love you. You learn to love them. And when you have kids, you'll have disobedient kids. You have to love the disobedient kid just as much as the obedient one. You have to take care of them. We had we had a number of border collies. We had one border collie. It was a litter, the last of the litter of pups, and it was always stupid. We took care of it and took care of it and took care of it. <laughs> and it never really learned to herd sheep. Never really learned to carry its own weight. Ate lots of dog food. And eventually it passed on. But we took care of it. Because that's what we were given. That's what we got. 
we sold all the good ones. <laughs> so anyway, that's the way it is with life. You have to take care of those that are put before you. And you gather in a congregation the same as you gather in a husband and wife. You know, you're, the divorce was given to you because of the hardness of your heart. And if you divorced your wife and then you wanted to remarry her again, that was forbidden. Because God hates sin. What was, but what was the sin? Well, the sin was that you divorced her to begin with. That you're, you were unforgiving to begin with. And now you decide you want to go back. So he, you know, I'm not going to oppose that Old Testament deal, but they, they impose that. And if you want a divorce, this is final. You don't get to remarry her again in six months, you know, even if you are Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor. You don't get to come back together again. Because I don't want you to separate this way. I want you to stick it out together and work it out together. Because in working it out together, you get to see yourself as you really are. You can't just amputate your spouse and make your problems go away. You are one flesh. You are connected forever. And you see, you have to work it out. But the world says, no, we'll just amputate that. With this divorce, no. Same with congregations. Stick together. We're going to talk more about this in the next show. But that will be later on today. Until then, peace on your house. And may God be with you. God bless. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God. And we're on a topic that I said uh, in the original two shows earlier today. Uh, we're a hot topic, hot topic in the news. The uh, Attorney General has been talking about it. Uh, a lot of people have been talking about it. And a lot of people are saying, like, why are we even discussing this? It's not even important. It's not relevant. You know, we've got an economy that is on the verge of collapse worldwide. We've got uh, food shortages just hanging in the balance. We've got supposedly global warming or climate change. There is a climate change, but uh, it will probably be a cooling. And uh, there will be crop failures. And crop failures we can't afford because we only have, we used to have six to seven years supply of grain in in this country, for this country, and now we're worldwide. We have like a month, uh, two months on the outside supply of grain, and then we start running out of food. And that is no planet should be in that kind of condition. Grain is the ultimate food storage uh, item uh, since time began. Uh, that's it can you can keep it for years and years and years. Potatoes you can't keep. Frozen goods doesn't keep without power. Uh, canned goods, tremendous energy to produce, and they only have a limited life uh, shelf expectancy. And you cannot reproduce canned goods with canned goods, while grain you can. Uh, civilizations have risen and fallen because of the price of grain. But anyway, what we were talking about has nothing to do with any of that, because that's not what's got everybody all worked up. Of course, there's an election in the United States, and everybody thinks, well, we'll elect this guy, and we'll get free stuff, and we elect this guy, he's going to make us great, and we elect this person, and well, I don't know what they're going to get you. Uh, but uh, it's going to be a mess, whatever it is, because of the people. Uh, the nations are people-driven. The spirit that dwelleth in the 
man dwelleth in the man's society. And so what we were talking about is one of the signs of what's really going on, a sign of the times, the zeitgeist, the spirit of the times. And uh, we have some really bizarre things. Evidently, there are men who think they're women, and they want to use the women's restroom. And, and women, I guess, who think they're men, and they want to use the men's restroom. And other people don't want them in there. And... So how do we decide? This is such a quandary. Well, of course, it's very simple. If you have male plumbing, you go to the male plumbing <laughs> restroom. If you have female plumbing, you go to the female plumbing restroom. But really, there's something else going on here, and that's what we were talking about. And we started off talking about emotions, and emotions are what moves us, what shakes us, what... Uh, what causes us to act and something causes those emotions uh and it was chemical things like hormones adrenaline uh all sorts of neuroreceptors and then events that cause those neuroreceptors to secrete the enzymes and hormones that cause the body to react uh thought processes you know can do the same thing cultural uh habits of how you would react in a particular situation all these things are part of this emotional criteria that causes you to move to do things a certain way and then we talked about the idea of what you feel you know there are people who feel like their arm is not their arm they think that it's actually a foreign appendage. They just can't. It bothers them. They look at their hand. They think, like, what is that doing there? And you think, well, that's crazy, right? Well, they have actually gone and amputated their arm because they were absolutely convinced that their arm was not their arm. And why? why is that? And how did you get a surgeon to actually cut your arm off and now you're disabled? And we talked about that, that if what you think or feel makes you what you are, then if you feel like you're handicapped, you ought to be able to use the handicapped parking, right? If you feel like an American, you ought to be able to come into this country. You don't need a passport. You just tell them at the border, hey, I feel like I'm an American. And they should let you in, right? If If we're going to do this based on feelings, and not based on, you know, actual plumbing, actual reality, actual, you know, physical anatomy, then if you can feel like a woman and get to do everything that, you know, become woman of the year and go into the women's restroom and get uh, special jobs because you're a woman, even though you're a man, but you feel like a woman, then you ought to be able to use handicap parking and come into the country and, you know, I feel like I belong here. <laughs> And you just do it because what you feel is what it is, right? And then we talked about how psychiatrists who were part of like John Hopkins, uh, McHugh's, uh, which was one of the hospitals that first pioneered the surgery to help people who are males but feel like females become females by surgery. And they don't do that anymore because of the fact that 20 not 20%, excuse me, 20 times 
the people that would normally commit suicide commit suicide after such operations, within 10 or 15 years of such operations, because it's not addressing the problem. It actually makes it worse. When you cut that arm off of the guy who's absolutely convinced that that arm is not his, even though he's born with it, raised with it, but somehow his brain has told him that that's not his arm. It doesn't feel like his arm, right? And what feels is what's important. So they cut the arm off. But they didn't cut enough. They thought they were cutting enough, but somehow or other, now his elbow is not his. And so now they have to want to go into surgery again and take the elbow off. The reality is, is it doesn't have anything to do with that. And we explain why. People who have phantom limbs, uh, they, you know, after they actually have their arm cut off, they feel like they're, you know, accident or whatever it was, and uh, maybe a military accident or, or, or wounded, they lost their arm, but they still feel like it's there, but they it's not there. It itches and it, it aches and they... They try to do something about it, but it's not there, so they can't do But you just show them this mirror set up where it looks like they're looking at their right arm, and it cures them. And and we have videos uh, at Preparing You. You know, Look under mine. Look under... Uh, oh, we've got several different uh, links to different videos on the subject. And what happens is that... In your physical body, you map your physical body. If you cut off a part of your body, either emotionally or actually, you will map that part of your body somewhere else. And something else, if there are things you don't want to see about yourself, things that you want to suppress in your subconscious, you will actually can map those things into part of your body, like your arm, your hand, and say, well, that's, not me. I don't want to see that. I don't want that to be a part of me. It's foreign to me. And you begin to believe that it is. Now, are you crazy? Well, yeah, you can say crazy. You can say that uh, you're psychotic or uh, that you have uh, some sort of uh, psychosis. But if you've been listening to the shows I've been saying right along for uh, weeks and weeks, that everybody has a psychosis. Psychosis is simply something that in you, usually involving emotions, blocks your ability to see reality clearly. Now, that that psychosis can become so uh, pronounced that everybody says, oh my gosh, that guy is crazy. But a lot of times it can be very subtle, and you just don't know. He's very functional. He doesn't, you know, he's not, you know, running down the street naked or anything. Uh, you know, it kind of reminds me of the guy in Dream Team, uh, Keaton, you know, where he gets arrested by the cops, and he eventually says, uh, you know, I'm not crazy. You know, well, I, uh, I, I, don't, I don't talk to my dog. I didn't see Elvis or anything. And, uh, or something like that. Anyway, he says that, uh, but I did put on a dress and run around Times Square. Uh, but the point was, is that it it is a little crazy to like to dress up in women's clothes when you're a man. Why, why do you want to do that? Now, we can just point our finger and say, oh, you're crazy, you're nuts and everything, but that really doesn't solve the problem. It doesn't solve their problem. 
doesn't solve their problem to have part of their body cut off and other parts, you know, sewed up and altered surgically. And statistics proves that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Humoring the person doesn't solve the problem. Doesn't it doesn't help them. Uh, as a matter of fact, it leads more often than not, more often than it should, certainly, 20 times more often <laughs> than it should, to suicide. So you're not helping them by catering to them. You're not helping them by belittling them and mocking them. They say they can't help it. This is the way they are. They are absolutely right. They cannot help it. They are given over to this way of thinking. And they cannot change. But why are they given over? And that's what we started talking about in the last show. And it tells you in Romans chapter 1 in the Bible. Although most people who read it don't understand it. And that's why we're talking about it. (laughs) So that by the end of the show, you might begin to understand it. Romans, first chapter, verse 26, 27. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Now, sexuality is part of nature. It's part of reproduction. I was just out rounding up cows on foot in the desert, telling them that, oh, you guys all have to go north. (laughs) And they were finally convinced of walking along, and they went north, and then I told them, I want you to go through that gate. And they all went through that gate. But a couple of them were clowning around. They, we had some animals in there mounting each other. Heifers mounting cows and cows mounting heifers. And people say, see, homosexuality is natural. What they're doing is they're about to go through a gate. And they're being moved about by some crazy cowboy on foot walking in the desert. And uh, they they want to find out where do I stand in the herd. So they're determining pecking order. This is why they're mounting. It's about domination. Dominating this one over that one. I'm in charge. You're not. No, I'm in charge. And they, until they finally agree who's in charge and what the pecking order is. And then, guess what? They will actually physically come into heat according to what they determine as their pecking order for walking through that gate. Who gets to go first? Well, also, just without anybody, you know, getting shots or anything like that, they will come into heat in the same order that they go through the gate. Isn't that amazing? That's natural. It's So they're not doing this because they're gay. They're doing this because they're determining the pecking order within the herd. A herd is actually a living entity, a creature of itself. It's full of individual creatures, but it actually functions as a body. A herd of cows is a body politic. So anyway, just give you that picture. So what it's saying here is that people are perverting the natural use. They're not using it for the reason. Like the cows are actually determining pecking order, going through the gate and coming into heat. And they're doing it by strength and and who is 
who should have the calf first is the strongest. And uh, so, therefore, they're, they're arm wrestling for who gets to be with the bull first. <laughs> that's what they're doing. Uh, and that's part of the process, the natural process of a herd of cows. Uh, there's similar processes with a herd of sheep. Most people don't know this. They live in the cities. Uh, they don't grow up in, in this. There are a lot of cattlemen who don't understand that. Anyway, it says, and likewise, also men leaving the natural use of the woman burn in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. And we'll we'll talk about that elsewhere just to keep moving along here so we get through this whole thing. Verse 28 goes on to say, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Now, what what does it mean to retain God in their knowledge? Have a th- theology that you memorize, you know, like a Baltimore catechism? No, to, to know God is to have a communion with God. Uh, he is actually writing upon your heart and your mind. He's guiding you. You're walking with him. That's what the knowledge of God is. It's not about studying if it was about studying, then we should all eat of the tree of knowledge. But this is knowing, knowing God, knowing his character, having his character written in your heart. What is his character? His character is a character that creates and is fruitful, gives life. What What's sexuality all about? It's about giving life. It's about creating life. That you're made in the image of God and you can create life. You have to do it man and woman. That's how you create life. Or you could you could have cattle and you could raise those cattle up. People complain about, you know, farmers, you know, certain peta approach to uh, oh no, we're just enslaving it. No, it's a, to be a herdsman is to have a symbiotic relation with the animal you're a part of the herd you're a, you're a part of the process of the herd living and surviving uh, I, I'm not enslaving the cows as much as the cows are enslaving me I'm out there irrigating pastures cutting hay so they don't starve in the winter and pro- providing for them they're over there chewing their cuds and deciding who's going to be with the bull first and they they walked up where I told them because of the fact I wasn't beating them. They went up where I was telling them to go because I'm a part of their herd. And they're a part of my family. They're domesticated animals. And we we could go on about that. But let's get through this. It says, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to reprobate mind, to a reprobate mind, to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, we talk about that all the time, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. Supposedly this is evil to say, no, 
We want all their daughters to be able to go to the restroom and not be bothered by men who think they're women, which is just a tiny little percentage of the, the population, that those men need to work out their issues and use the men's restroom. This is some sort of terrible, mean, cruel thing. Traumatize some 12-year-old girl having a guy come in there, that's okay. <laughs> but to, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, it's not even worth discussing. And that's not what we're discussing. That That's part of the psychosis of a modern society. What we're discussing is why do they have, and, and, and like I said, many of these psychosis is where you think you know I think I'm this I think I'm that you know uh, Jeffrey Dahmer thought he was a cannibal thought he was supposed to eat people thought that was a good thing to do uh, John Wayne Gacy uh, thought it was good to kill child after child after child and bury 23 of them under his house and dump others in the rivers and he, he thought that was okay and everybody liked him. He was a great guy. And and people who molest children. And well, why do they do this? Well, often it's because of some trauma that's happened to them. And they were given over to a reprobate mind. Everybody doesn't do things that extreme, but we all do some things. And this is where where we need to understand and see our own psychosis. Obviously, you guys probably, you know, most of the people that are listening to it don't think that it would be good to go and kill young children and eat them. You probably aren't tempted to do that. That's not your psychosis. Your psychosis isn't that bad. You probably have some psychosis, but it's not that one. But what psychosis do you have? Because if you have any, it can lead to worse and worse situations, depending upon the stimulus of your society. You... Uh, you, the shelter was a, a program we've talked about before. It was an old program back in the 50s or 60s, and they had uh, somebody had a bomb shelter in there, and they thought there was going to be a nuclear bomb. And the neighbors were pounding in the door, trying to bust their way in, and because they had to survive, because things changed people that were just fine and laughing and joking and having a great time together and great neighbors and great friends and then under the change of circumstances they were trying to kill you and smash in your door and take away your life to save themselves because something external things changed and then you kind of realize that my friends are not necessarily my friends we're going to see a lot of that probably in our lifetime because things are going to change. Things are going to get more difficult. And what the, what you're seeing is the the psychosis. You know, the 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 tip of the iceberg comes up and rolls over and you see the destruction. What you want to be is devoid of that psychosis, devoid of that inability to see reality because if you don't see reality in one particular area of thinking you won't see anything beyond that this is this is what happens is that you if you don't want to see the truth about yourself you develop psychosis so you, you don't see 
the truth about yourself. But behind that, you also will not see the truth about your environment or your conditions or your society or what's coming around the corner. Every one of you should see the future. But if you don't see the truth about yourself, you will not see the future. And that's why you go read Revelations and try to figure out what's going to happen and go to soothsayers and prophets and everything. Tell us what's going to happen because we can't see. You can't see because you didn't want to see the truth about yourself. Now, sometimes there's good reason to be afraid to see the truth about yourself because it's very painful. If somebody has traumatized you or or maybe you traumatized somebody else and now you regret it and that's traumatized you. The more you explore yourself, the more you see your failings in yourself, the more you can see the world around you clearly. The less you want to see the truth about yourself, the less you will see the world around you clearly. So you will not know what the solution is in this situation or that situation. You will not know how to make decisions. You will try to, but you will not have all the facts. You will not see clearly because you didn't want to see yourself clearly. Again, take it back to what we talked about in previous programs, body mapping. guy cuts his arm off in an accident. And so his body is, remaps, his brain remaps a picture of his arm on his cheek and head. So that when he's blindfolded and you take out a little feather and you tickle that little spot of the cheek, he feels like you're tickling the finger of the arm that's cut off. And then you move it along and then you see he feels like you're tickling the other finger. But you're actually tickling, tickling his cheek with a little feather. He has mapped the existence of his hand somewhere. He had to, it's gone. He doesn't feel it anymore. So he maps it on a part of his flesh, sometimes on the stomach, sometimes the back of the head, sometimes part of the face. But he will map that and you, he will feel the twinges and the, uh, the tickles in his hand if you tickle now if he sees you tickling his face he, he won't feel it you have to cut off the eyes so the only thing he goes by is sensation you can find where he's body mapped that missing arm we do this psychologically when you say I don't I don't want to look at this part of my life it may be something you've done it may be something that somebody's done to you it could be a combination of the two you don't want to see it. Maybe it was something that was done by or to one of your family members. Maybe you saw somebody die. Or maybe you saw somebody injured. And it traumatized you. And you don't want to see it. It's not necessarily a guilt thing. Although often guilt is another one of those things that can charge the emotions of the situation. And so therefore it often can be. That's a powerful influence. So anyway, what you what you really want to do is see yourself as you really are, and then you will be set free. The truth shall set you free. Now you know why they say that. When the, when you begin to see the truth, it can actually set you free from these things that you're chained to that are blurring your vision, blurring your perception, affecting your judgment. I mean, you're going to go out and decide who you're going to marry with this kind of 
Spartan trauma dragging along behind you? Now look again at that list of the things that they don't want to retain the knowledge of God, the understanding of who God is, which is not an intellectual thing. It's actually having the characteristic of God. You want to give life. You want to forgive. You want to uh, uh, benefit others. You want to share with others. This is These are characteristics of God. But you don't want to hold that knowledge. Instead, what you're going to end up with is something contrary to that. And you'll end up doing things that are not very good for you, that are inconvenient. Being filled with unrighteousness. You're not going to be righteous because you don't see those weightier matters of righteousness because you don't see the whole truth. You're going to you're going to end up wanting to satisfy your own lust, fornication, wickedness, covetousness. You you want other people's stuff because you want stuff for you. You want free stuff. You want you want uh, benefits. And you don't, you say, well, it's just coming from the government. No, it's coming from your neighbor. You want it. Maliciousness. You don't care. You'll get angry. Oh, you hate that Trump. You hate anybody who doesn't want to elect the guy who's going to give you all the free stuff. You'll be full of envy. Oh, the rich guy. He he shouldn't have all that. You should have some of that. And you don't mind murdering somebody to get it. Now, you may not want to do the killing yourself, but you don't mind to have a military do the killing for you. You want to debate and argue, deceit, malignity, remember, whispers, backbiters, haters of God. So the, all these things start showing up, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedience, you know, false accusers, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, don't keep agreements, can't trust them, without natural affections, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Now, in the next half of the show, we're going to talk about why. Why do you get to this point where you will riot and burn down your own community, where you will betray your friends, where you can't come together in, 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 with a simple motivation of caring about one another without backbiting and arguing and debating. Why, why can't you do that? Because the beginning of Romans 26 said, For this cause. What cause? Well, that's what we're going to talk about. What causes this to come about? Because it doesn't do any good to point out the problem if we don't know what's causing the problem, to deal with the actual problem itself, the source of the problem. That's where the cure is. It's not just in identifying the problem. So anyway, we'll talk about that when we return to Keys to the Kingdom after this brief break. Okay, so we were talking about what is the cause that causes an entire society to move in a particular way? These are what, you know, homosexuality, the cessation of marriage, uh, the breakdown of the family, these are all symptoms of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. They're listed off by historians like Edward Gibbons. Uh, we could see them in other societies. Uh, there were, there's a lot of symptoms, you know, like taking the silver out of the coin. This is, this is a sure way that... Uh, you know that the economy of society is going to collapse. 
some societies actually did this early on and, and lasted for a while, but eventually even they collapsed. They, the only way they maintained any kind of order was to uh, to create other uh, situations which ended up uh, oppressing the majority of the people in that country, you know, like the Spartans. You know, we look at the Spartans and, and we're taught like they're big heroes and everything, and they were amazing fighters and uh, military disciplined uh, group of people. But most of the people who lived in the country of Sparta were not Spartans. They were the people who did the farming and and worked and and made things, uh, pottery and and uh, orchards and sheep and cattle and. You know, they're the ones who made society actually function. And they were totally suppressed and oppressed by the Spartans. And they were just uh, always under fear of of their life and limb because if they crossed a Spartan, the Spartan could just kill them outright. And that was the end of it. So, I mean, there was no talk of freedom for them. So it wasn't a great society. It was an oppressive society. And they didn't believe that gold should be in the hands of the people or silver. Their money was made out of lead. And why? Because they were power-centralized society. Spartans had all the power. And the people had a way of, you know, that they could come and go. They had their wealth in their own pocket then that would undermine the power of the Spartans over them, and they would not be as easily suppressed. There's a lot of other things that goes on. You know, they they couldn't have weapons. They did teach them how to use weapons when they were uh, grossly outnumbered and they were going to need their help, and they enlisted them in the military. And they were finally successful with the help of all these people that they uh, normally oppressed. And so they invited them all up to uh, receive their reward and gave them white garments and everything and then killed them all because they couldn't afford to have these trained military uh, competent people uh, existing in their society. They would they would rise up and throw the oppression of the Spartans off and they couldn't have that. I mean, most of wars that are created in the world today are created for the purpose of killing off brave young men. Whether you're talking the Soviet Union or America or whatever, these wars, sure there's other alternatives, you know, maybe we can make some money, we can invade Indonesia or, or, or like Indonesia invade East Timor and take it over one of the few countries that was operating in the, in the uh, black uh, actually had all kinds of natural resources and wasn't overspending. And Indonesia was given arms by the United States that were offloaded from our ships onto Indonesian ships who immediately went to East Timor, invaded the country, murdered thousands and thousands of people, including foreign reporters, complete news blackout in America. Uh, Europeans knew about it and uh, started a Federal Reserve System and now... Uh, it's now a peaceful republic. It was a republic before, but now it's a peaceful republic where the natural resources are making men very, very rich. And large sections of the population are still kept poor, although they've gone back to peace and they are industrial people, industrious people. But the point was is that money powers came in. It wasn't 
the fact that you can't say all rich people because then that gets into the envy and boastful. It's just that people were able to put together the power and the structure to conquer that nation, subdue it, and confiscate its wealth for their personal gain. And they know how to do that, and that's what they did. And there are other countries that are following suit in that. And anybody who is independent, they don't like, they want to destroy what spirit is making this happen? Well, you know, there's a lot to it, but basically it's a selfish, covetous spirit. People are interested in what benefits them. How does it benefit them to worry about people in East Timor? It's not important. It's, it's, it would be tending to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. But, you know, how does it help me out? Well, it doesn't. So let's ignore them. Let's don't even, I don't even want to know about it. I'm not even sure where East Timor is, right? So who cares? Well, as you don't care about your neighbor, eventually somebody will not care about you. That's the way it goes, the red button effect. Anyway, Paul starts his letter to the Romans. Now, the Romans were Christian Romans. Many of them were not Jewish Romans. Some of them were from Great Britain. Uh, But they were following this, way of Christ, which is really a very unique thing. Christians would not partake of the welfare system of Rome. They wouldn't partake of the welfare system of the Pharisees because those were supported by men who call themselves benefactors but exercised authority. In other words, forced the contributions. Christians wouldn't do that because that would be covetous. That would be praying to the benefactors who exercise authority and signing up for their system was considered fornication, idolatry. Now, that's a fact, and we explain that in great detail elsewhere. But Paul's writing Romans who've decided to become Christians, and they take care of the needs. They have a welfare system, but it's based on faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. They had to awaken from a psychosis that makes you think that it's okay to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. That's a psychosis. Only crazy people think that that's okay. But that insanity is commonly accepted today. And people think they're Christians, but they ask rulers to force their neighbors to contribute to their welfare. They ask their rulers to borrow against the future of their children and their grandchildren so that they can have social welfare today, so they can have social security today. They they don't want to wait, work, and then earn it. They want, and they say, "Well, I paid in," but they know what you paid in is gone. But they don't care. They want to receive the benefit now, and they think that that will be a good thing for them. And it's actually going to bring about destruction. But they don't see that because they have this psychosis. They have this mental block. They don't want to admit they have abandoned Christ already. They want to think they believe in Christ, but he's going to tell them, no, you're you're workers of iniquity. You're the wicked. I don't even know you. You don't even know me because you think it's okay to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare, to provide for your security. 
said, and you got lots of preachers who will tickle yours and say, yeah, that's good, that's okay. But it's not. You don't have a few that will tell you that's not okay. That 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 is the road to destruction. So anyway, Paul writes, he's writing the Romans who know this distinction and know this difference. And he says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, that's what Christ means, Messiah, the anointed, the king. There's another king, one Jesus. So he's a servant of Jesus, the king, called to be an apostle, an ambassador. That's the same word, apostle, ambassador. Separated unto the gospel of God. The gospel of what? The good news of God. That you have the right to be ruled by God if you repent of your covetous ways and seek the kingdom. In other words, come together, not forsaking the coming together, but coming together in pure religion. Pure religion is taking care of the needy of your society by faith, open charity, and the perfect law of liberty. So this is what Paul is talking. They all know what he's saying when he talks about this stuff. The gospel. Most Christians don't know. They think that the gospel is what you think about Jesus. That he was God or that he was you know, part of the Trinity, and that he died for our sins. Well, he died for somebody's sins, but I don't know if he died for your sins because I don't know if you've repented. I don't know if you've forgiven. See, you, if you want the benefit, you haven't forgiven them for spending all the money. They've spent all your money. Forgive them. Find another provision for yourself. You don't want to forgive them? You say, no, I want that money anyway. Because I paid in, I want it anyway. Well, then you haven't forgiven. And so God can't forgive you, and so God won't be there for you. Because you won't forgive others for having spent all your Social Security money until the system is bankrupt. And it can only provide benefits by borrowing against the future of your children and grandchildren and your neighbor's children and grandchildren. So anyway, that's the picture. He goes on to say, concerning the son of his son, talking about God, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, our master, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, the house of David, which was the king line of Israel, according to the flesh, and declared to be son of God, with power according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace, grace is this forgiveness, and apostleship, ambassadorship, for this kingdom of God at hand, which is the gospel of the kingdom, which is a government that operates by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. This is what they were doing. For obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. You're called to follow this way. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he's talking about Romans who are going to follow this way. He says, first I I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. And your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. How these Romans were actually following this way. And and 
giving up the Corbin of Rome. They weren't going to take from the benefactors who exercised authority. They're not going to be that way. They're going to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. That is the gospel. That is what sets you free. And, but you, you're not going to be free if you don't admit that to force your neighbor is covetousness and a violation of the commandments. And you don't really love Jesus if you covet your neighbor's goods. So he says, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you and all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Now that, that word world, what word is that? Because there's five different Greek words that are all translated into the single English word world. And I can read it right to you, the definition of that word, an apt and harmonious arrangement or constitution, order, or government. It's not through the whole planet, it's through the, all of the Roman constitutional order and government. They know of you. So he goes on in verse 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I may mention of you always in my prayers, making requests, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to, to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end ye may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now, Paul went around with people like Barnabas because there was, there was a, a dearth in the land. That means an economic problem. And they were, people were going to need assistance. And they took up a collection and they carried that funds. It wasn't just a token thing. That was it. They weren't going to get assistance from Rome. The people who were a part of the religion of Rome registered with Rome, who prayed to Rome, to the fathers of Rome for their benefits, they could get them from Rome. But Christians weren't doing that. Christians were praying to God the Father in heaven and calling no man on earth Father. And so they were providing their welfare through faith, hope, and charity. This this changes their whole psychological and emotional makeup. It changes the flow of energy through them, both as individuals and as a community. Now he goes on to say that uh, he, he longs to see them. That is, I may be comforted together with you. But he says, now... I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I propose to come unto you, but was let hitherto that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. He knows he's talking to Gentiles, other nations. I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the good news of Christ, of this Messiah, of this other king who doesn't operate by force, 
Like John the Baptist, he says, no, do it by charity. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. We trust that you will be there for us. We hope you will be there for us. And we will sacrifice to be there for you now. We have no guarantees, no entitlement programs. We have people who are willing to take a chance on the righteous ways of Christ. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven again, all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them for God hath showed it unto them for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world what world? the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, that they became fools. There's talk about making America great. What made America great? fact is there was a large number of people not you know when I, you you think about this when i mention who these are that knew god in america not isn't everybody who goes to church or has religion i'm talking about people who have the character of god givers of life they get married they have children they take care of their children they take time out to take care of their neighbor you know I mean, the stories are rampant. How did we do it with before Social Security and welfare and food stamps? Why wasn't everybody starving? We tried that in the very beginning. Jamestown, Plymouth, it didn't work. People starved every year. When we stopped doing that, we said to each, according to what he produces, it's private property. He owns it. If anybody's going to share it, he gets to decide. He is the ruler of his welfare what welfare he gives what welfare he keeps if he's selfish people will remember that if he is unselfish people will remember that and they have the hope that that everybody will be there for each other and they actually worked at this and that's what made america great because that was very very prominent in our society it's hard to even find anymore Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. In other words, when they they didn't give God the credit for what made them great. The character of God was what made them great. But they think they made themselves great. So the speeches where they say, we're going to make America great again, the greatest country in the world. Do you know what made you great? Was it your vanity? Go back to that list. What was some of the things that was not good? Boasters. 
America was the greatest country in the world, but not for the reason you think. Under the Constitution, it was God in the hearts of many people all across this land because they cared about one another. One of the most charitable nations in the world. But we are so full of ourselves. Vanity rules in our hearts and our minds. We need to go back to humility. And we will be brought down to a humble state. Unfortunately, millions will have to die during this process. Millions more will suffer. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. We have become fools. We have parted from the ways of Christ, the ways of God, the ways of righteousness. And we have become covetous people. And changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like a corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and to creepy things. But actually, Christ said, we've created a hundred you know, paintings and chalk drawings and evangelists who say Jesus is this and Jesus is that. But they don't follow in his ways. They don't do what Christ said to do. They all have benefactors who exercise authority one over the other. They don't create a daily ministration entirely functioning by faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. They're doomed until they repent and go back to the way. And the sooner you go back, the more you go back, take those steps. I mean, right now we're in good times. Are you going to learn everything in hard times? You need to come together now. You need to join the network. You need to join a congregation. You need to start contributing. You need to start forgiving. You need to start helping bring light to each congregation so that people will see. I'm not going to be able to tell you exactly how to do that. I'll do that in person. You come to our festivals and events and join in our congregations. I'll take time to show you, share with you what I have seen and what I know. And maybe we can raise the dead and cure the the vampires, the werewolves, and the zombies and bring life back. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the creature, the institutions of man, more than the Creator. That's what you do with your rituals and your ceremonies and your keeping of days and feasts. Now, I think it's good to keep the feasts, but that is not, if you don't keep it with the Spirit of God, and I have not yet seen one group keep the feast as they were intended because they're focused on the ritual if they when they're done with the feast they have not further established a daily ministration that takes care of all the social welfare for the true needy of their society they haven't kept the feast at all they don't love one another they didn't come together they came for the party they didn't come for to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now that's a hard message. But that it is for that cause God has given them up to unvile affections. So every congregation, every group, whether you're with us or not, 
You should be gathering together to help out other people. Not just give stuff away, but strengthen the poor to bring light. And in order to do that, you need to see yourself as you really are. You need to see all your foibles. You need to come to grips with that. And you need a loving group to help you do that. Every congregation is an AA group. It's not about alcohol, but it's about addiction to the lie. We are addicted to the lie. And we need to repent of the lie and turn around and go the other way. And until we do, peace on your house. And may God be with you. God bless. Gregory for being here and um, just really appreciating um, very much his input and the fact that he puts in four or five hours of radio every Saturday um, and we get to have a part of that. And I think he's all fired up by the time he gets here. <laughs> Maybe we can convince him to stay a little bit longer one of these days. I had my phone on. Actually, I'm still on the line. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear me still. Oh, well, great. Hey, Cookie, you have any great questions for Brother Gregory? I just love when he puts his heart and soul into everything, and I love cows, period. And so when he's talking about this, it reminds me of the cows that I know. But, you know, ducks, chickens, rabbits, I just love what you're talking about. And, of course, you know, Frequencies when it comes to different types of flowers and different things. I, when when I listen to you, it just makes my heart sing. <laughs> uh, thank you for that. Anyway, I'm glad glad somebody's listening. <laughs> like yeah, like Cheryl said, I do an awful lot of radio. I mean, we're we're on somewhere every day of the week for at least a dozen hours a week on uh, radios. And uh, some, you know, actual broadcasting stations. But, uh, uh, you, you know, my message really is so simple. <laughs> but I guess you could, yeah, I always try to apply it in a little bit different way. So, But it, it touches the heart. And, see, you know, when you're talking about homeschooling, even though it's been 40 years ago that I did it, you know, the grandmas were there to help my kids and what they got out of it. It just brings such wonderful memories and wonderful things and helps the kids. And, you know, sending kids, I feel sorry that you were sent to a boarding school, but then when you ended with, you went home and everything turned out much better. Boy, it just made my heart sing because I'm going, oh, no, I didn't realize he had to go to a stupid boarding school. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't home taught. <laughs> But it was it was kind of my choice. It was kind of my destiny because of the things that I was going to learn there. And right. uh, my parents were, I, you know, I really consider my parents very exceptional parents. I can remember uh, them standing up and saying things early age uh, that, you know, I just don't see other parents looking that deep into things. But uh, so I have no complaint about my parents. And the fact is, is I did meet some people in this private school 
situation that taught me a great deal. And the fact is there's going to be hardships in every life. Right. And you either Correct. learn from those hardships uh, or those difficulties or those challenges or you're broken by them. And it's it's just been a lot better to learn from them, <laughs> a lot more constructive anyway. And like you said, where we go sometimes is for a purpose, you know, and for you it was a purpose, so that was awesome. But now you homeschooled your children, correct? Oh, yeah. I home, All our kids were homeschooled. Uh, our grandchildren uh, are homeschooled. And so, I mean, we're, we're, we're getting quite a few of them. <laughs> so, <laughs> and the, it's amazing how much brighter they are than other kids. And it's not just because they're our kids. Uh but, but they know uh, how to to society. They're more balanced. They're more emotionally stable, and they feel secure and they feel confident. And they also learn to talk around adults more, so that they feel they can fit in where there's not this separation of taking them away from the adults, letting them grow up, and then trying to make them fit back into society, um, because. A lot of teenagers are scared of adults, and adults are scared of teenagers. Yeah, my kids and grandkids, they need to be a little bit more afraid of adults. <laughs> what actually happens is that the adults are often more afraid of them because they're so outspoken. I mean, some of them are extremely shy and polite and everything, but when they're so versed. One of the things my policy was, and I, I just naturally so is that I'm not raising a child; I'm raising an adult. Right, They're right. just in the form of a child right now, you know. And uh, was never condescending. I was always amazed at the the uniqueness of each child, the difference of each child. Uh, some of them were more challenging than others in some aspects, but they're all very successful at what they're doing today. Not that they didn't make a few mistakes along the road. I always used to tell them there's two ways to learn everything, <laughs> easy or hard. And the hard way is by making the mistake yourself. So, uh, and, they, and they still make mistakes, but I look at back at homeschooling and what I learned from the process Absolutely. Makes it no other alternative to me, Absolutely. because you get you get to revisit everything. There was there was an interesting story is that one one of some study part of one of my kids. I think it was one of the older kids. Uh, early days of uh, homeschooling, I was instructing them in something. I can't even remember the details, but I remembered that I said something to them in a little moment of impatience and uh, and I said that sounds just like my fourth grade teacher <laughs> my fourth grade school teacher private school I said I didn't like my fourth grade, fourth grade <laughs> school teacher <laughs> and I realized that because of my dislike for her I was actually becoming like her when I had to deal with you know, children are a challenge sometimes. They they try your patience, which is why God sends them to us. Another motto that I have is that if a, if a man thinks he is wise, let him marry. <laughs> if he thinks he is patient, let him have children. <laughs> because the children are going to show you that you're not as patient as you thought you were. That's excellent. <laughs> but that's... Part of the game. That's how you grow. 
If you don't, and the parents are missing out yeah. by not homeschooling their children. You know, yeah. then that's a, people are always saying, think of what your children are missing uh, because you're not sending them to the public school. And I said, actually, that's why they're not going to the public school because I keep thinking of what they're missing. <laughs> but but think of what your children are missing. And, you know, that's a... We we met a lot of flack when we first started teaching our kids at home from locals. Uh, most of it was behind our back, but you know, occasionally people would have the courage to speak up, not very forthrightly, but uh, they they did speak up. And uh, I pointed out to them many years later when they came to us and they said, actually, some of the people that are our biggest uh, uh, opponents in homeschooling came to us many years later and said. I should have home taught my kids. Why? They went on to college and they became somebody else. They came home from college and the the parents were saying, "Where do my kids get these ideas?" They go away conservative, they come back liberal. They go away straight, they come back gay. <laughs> I think like, what happened? Or they go away and they don't reconnect with the parents and they go about their lives having their own lives, but they don't ever see their parents anymore or even reconnect with them anymore. Right, right. And because because they did not graft to their parents. Their parents took them and turned them over to school too soon. They need to graft to their parents. And the cows know this. The sheep know this. But we don't seem to to, to grasp it. Now, some parents actually still play a significant role, especially out here in this country. It's farming community, so the kids a lot of times are isolated on the farms and and end up working with their parents, and so they get a little bit better feel. I've known a few farming families that didn't want their kids to go into farming and would not let them do any chores. And now they're paying the price, and their grandchildren are paying the price because their grandchildren have no sense of family. None whatsoever. And they've missed that. They've lost that. And it doesn't come back just because you read it in a book. Yep. You, well, we you used to, to go to seminars, and I'd talk in front of maybe 100, 150 people. My son, who was in his 20s at the time, and he started on his journey when he was 19, when we would go to seminars and he was about 28 years old, he would walk around the audience and talk to everybody, and they'd all be from the ages of 50 to 90 years old. And they were just just the most awesome people, and they had different careers, different journeys, different things that happened to them in life. But he was so young, but he loved being around them because he said, when I go there, I learn so much. And right. the, the thing is, what was funny, his friends would say to him, why do you like to go with your mother to those seminars? It's just a bunch of old people. And he goes, yeah, but those old people have all the knowledge and the wisdom. He goes, that's where I want to go. Yeah. You know? Well, I used to say that an old person has more wisdom in their gray hair than a young man has in his whole head. And, they're, and they're, it isn't always because the old people are so smart. But they have life experience. Uh, They may have made every single mistake in the book, but they've done it. You can learn from them. Sometimes they're grouchy and ornery, but 
a lot of times you can sweep that away if you come with the right attitude. My oldest son, he used to go down to the local school when they had games and stuff and uh, kind of mix with the other kids and everything because he was kind of a people person. And and the kids his age would come up over to him and say, why are you hanging? Because he'd go down and he'd talk to the old men. He'd sit with the old men for a while. He would, if there was a ball at halftime, he would throw it around with the young kids. There was no click in age distinction. He could mix with the kids his age, too. And uh, he could, uh, all uh, spectrums, with the ranchers, with the businessmen. He could sit down with any of them and talk. And, of course, now he runs huge crews and, and uh, because he knows... You know, and he's he's been supervisor since he was a young man over people twice his age, because age didn't mean anything, it, yeah. and getting the job done meant everything. And so he's worked his way up. He he told me uh, at a family gathering not too long ago. He says there's only three people between me and the governor now. <laughs> so <laughs> so it, it's not that big a deal, but really, but. Uh, in the chain of command where he's he's working, uh, he's actually up there, and he actually stepped down from that position, went and worked in another place. Uh, and, but it, it's just setting him up for another better position. But you don't know God has a plan, and each child, each adult needs to find their place in it. But everybody's trying to find their own personal place, their own selfish motive. Big mistake. You're not going to find God's plan for you unless you approach it from the point of view of being of service to other people. And, oh, you know, uh, you can't escape that. Go ahead. No, I'm, I'm just... <laughs> That's why I never found myself. <laughs> <laughs> no matter where you go, there you are. <laughs> you got to come to the burning bush uh uh, thing in September, and that's what I'm waiting to hear about that. Well, it is coming up, uh, and they've got a date, and you can actually go to Burning Bush Festival. See, I can't even remember dot com. Yeah, but uh, see, Burning I don't Bush think... Festival, all one word dot com, and it's set for. I have to check myself. Uh, August thirtieth to September second, and I don't know how big it is. We had a big uh, gathering out in Missouri. Uh, and uh, in May, and there was about 75 people showed up there. They wanted me to come, but God said no. Uh, and so that was growing. That's a lot bigger than it used to be. And I don't know how big this is going to be. We're pretty remote. A lot of people don't come all the way out here. It could get real big. I mean, we have about a 1,000 acres to meet on, so we got the room. That's all solved. Uh, but... Uh, what you really need is someone who's good at organizing events, and we thought about inviting lots of other people, you know, like the rendezvousers and and different people to come out and uh, use the the area there. But uh, uh, we'll, we're just growing slowly uh, and see how how it grows. Really, the network is really where we think people ought to be gathering in local groups, because I can't help everybody across the country, but local groups can help each other. You know, And that's what the early church did. It gathered together local groups, but the local groups were connected so that when they had invading armies and when they had uh, 
uh, economic breakdown and when they had uh, famines and uh, and these different things and they had to evacuate whole cities. I mean, there were there were times in the uh, decline of the Roman Empire where you would have a whole city where 90% of the people would just be gone, either died or have to flee the city overnight. And where did they go? Well, the Christians had this huge, vast network that reached from Ireland and Norway to uh, Africa. And uh, if you had to flee because of this network, you had a place to go. And these festivals, which was like the fall festival, Feast of Tabernacles and all these things were designed to keep those connections alive outside of your own community in charitable ways so that you had a connection. And I, I've told the story that we had a nuclear power plant right near one of our congregations that was about to go Fukushima a few years ago during a flood. And they were building barricades all around it and everything. And they were worried that it would... Uh, have a serious breach and meltdown and they were only 15 minutes away from this nuclear power plant and downwind and they thought like if this goes bad we have to move within minutes in the network all over the country upwind we had people volunteering and offering their house to any of those people in that congregation well that's that's what networking is really all about but they're not in that congregation because they have particular religious denominational policy they have it because they have to actually work day to day to care about one another and so they start to develop those relationships and these these retreats that we put on the spring retreat and the fall festival which is the burning bush festival we didn't want to call it feast of tabernacle because everybody would say oh well that's old testament stuff <laughs> it's it's the but they don't even know most of the people celebrating feast of the tabernacle don't understand what that festival was really all about it was about sharing and creating on a national level to create that network that they needed in case they were invaded or you know there was famine or whatever and we're not above that in this nation i don't know if we're going to get invaded but you could go from uh feasting to famine in America rather quickly. Yeah, well, uh, we've already been invaded, so... <laughs> yeah, we've been invaded by ideas, uh, that's for sure. And uh, uh, we're not the America we were 100 years ago. No. Uh, we're not doing what we did 100 years ago. And we're losing the ability to do it because nobody's learning how to do what we did, what made America great. They don't know what it is that made America great. I don't know. Did you have another guest that was coming on, or were you guys just going to wing the show on your own? Um, we did not have a um, a featured guest this afternoon. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, you're absolutely welcome. To... <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed the part, too, about the frequency um what did you call that, a frequency emanator? Well, uh, well, we're all frequency generators. I mean, Oh, generator, that's what I meant. Yeah, we, we generate frequency all the time. Uh, well, I know we do, and, and, and I'm into that, but, but I, I, the word generator, I guess, I, when you said it, I cracked up laughing because 
I used to have friends that were quantum physicists and scientists, and they'd always say I was a frequency generator, and I haven't heard that conger, you know, that uh, comment in a long time because they've passed over. But um, the thing is, our hearts magnify 50 times stronger, and when we generate our hearts with uh, unconditional love or agape love, we can generate it way, way out, and people can heal when they walk into your auric field and feel that um, type of frequency of love. And so when you said that, I mean, anybody's able to do it. Of course, you have to have the right mind and the right attitude and the right type of body, but, you know, it's amazing what you're able to do and... and uh, so I kind of cracked up when you said that because I hadn't heard that expression in a long time, so thank you. <laughs> well, the, yeah, the same token is is that we can generate bad frequencies, too. <laughs> we can we can have an effect. Our anger, our judgment, our, our, our resentment, uh, it kills people. It kills ourselves, but it also kills people around you. It injures them. I mean, you don't have yeah. to hit somebody to intimidate them and oppress them. And children sense that immensely. And uh, and so, you know, we have to guard against that. And so our whole life should be cultivating a practice of caring about one another as much as we care about ourselves, of generating uh, life, giving life. Because if you give life and those around you in free assemblies that are working with you are generating life, giving life, not just giving, but giving life. You know, In other words, sometimes giving life is to tell people, you know, you're lazy. <laughs> I'm not going to give you a free meal today. You're going to have to do the dishes. You're going to have to chop wood. You're going to have to do this because you've really got a problem with laziness. That may be the most charitable thing you do to some people. You know, so charity is a is a strange thing. It's not always giving people what they want. Sometimes it's giving people it really always is giving people what they need. And sometimes they need to hear the hard truth. And so but if you start gathering together with people like that, you're gonna see miraculous healings. Mm-hmm. It, it's just going to happen. You're not you're not generating it out of your own will, and this is a big danger. Uh, some people they label New Age and everything. I don't I don't believe in these labels, but they're floating around. Um, most labels are lies anyway. Um, but uh, the reality is is that you the the people that are giving this um, character of Christ free reign in their lives uh, begin to alter society. They begin to change people's lives around them. And as those people change, birds of a feather flock together, they'll start gathering. But you need to cultivate that, just like a garden, just like uh, the natural forest. I was a forest ranger for uh, a while, one of my careers, and uh, the forest is doing all kinds of fabulous things uh, generating all kinds of things in on its own by its very nature we're supposed to have dominion over that we're supposed to be guiding that and what's happening is we're actually destroying our forests and we're destroying our farmlands <laughs> and we're doing it because uh, 
we're connecting our minds to another uh, element of creation that does not give life, takes life away. That's what we're doing with all the GMOs. GMOs is a byproduct of that spirit of of Cain. Yeah, or chemtrails or fluoride in the water. Yeah, people, they're so fascinated with their own power to control things like the weather, they're actually poisoning the very earth the weather was sent to make flower. Mm -hmm. And and they, they can't see it. They're just drunk with their own power. But the only way to change that, you can't change the world without you becoming a dictator. But if you change, you have the right to change. That change in you will magnify itself, spread out like... This is why I say resist not evil, and this is what our theme's been for the last few shows. You don't curse the darkness. You you know, we can see evil things going on in the world. We can see bad things. Don't curse that. Don't love it. uh, Yeah, you have to forgive it. That doesn't mean absolve it. That means don't you be judged. Let God be judged. But you shine a light on it and around it. And what you're going to help other people wake up. And the more people that wake up and open their eyes and begin to see this, that's where change will begin to take place. Not because you're controlling or forcing it, but because you're lighting that candle and driving the cockroaches and the spirit of the cockroach away that hide from the light. And so, you know, I mean, it's easy. That's kind of my philosophy. But it looks like you may be coming up on another break here. And I am going to have to go. I'm not going to be able to stay for the whole hour. (laughs) Busy, busy, busy. Oh, well, thank you very much for the extra time today, Brother Gregory. We really appreciate it. Yeah, I was surprised that for some reason I just stayed on. Maybe I was trying to find out if you guys talk about me when I'm gone. (laughs) (laughs) We do. We talk about you all the time. (laughs) Well, you guys have a good day. Love you. Bye-bye. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Because you talk about... Yeah, we do all the time. We just love you. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Oh, that was funny. Well, you know, I I, I came back from uh, from playing his little thing and um You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.